Welcome to the podcast of top executive coach, Tony Mayo. This podcast is a recording of one of Tony's teleseminars. You can join future teleseminars at no charge by registering at tiny.cc slash mayo call. That URL is tiny.cc slash m-a-y-o-c-a-l-l. Hello, this is Tony Mayo. You'll hear the recording of our teleseminar in just a moment. First, I want to acknowledge that the audio quality is not up to my usual standards. Still, it is a useful conversation, so I wanted to make it available to you. Here it is. Well, good. Well, let's begin. There are five of us on the call, and I'll I'll include other people as they come in. Uh, Our format is I I have a topic I'll I'll talk about uh, briefly, and then I'll listen to your thoughts about that, things you want to add to it, or maybe there's a a situation, an opportunity, a decision where you can see this this might apply. Uh, And then we'll uh, take a moment to do a centering exercise. I want to do that later in the call so that people are less likely to be ringing in and uh, coming into the middle of that quieter part of it. And we'll finish up with what, whatever is on people's minds. We'll have a free-flowing conversation. We'll finish up at 6 o'clock. Does that sound right? Good. Sounds yes, good. Sounds great. Tony, this is Doris. I am going to have to um, sign off a bit before that, but I'll stay with you as long as I can. Okay. Well, uh, try to break in and, and say goodbye when you're ready to go. Thanks. Will do. Okay. Well, the topic I had in mind for today is trust. It's one of those things that is uh, fundamental. It's a lot of like air and water that uh, once it's mentioned, everybody knows that it's important for the things that we want from our lives, but we don't often take time to examine it and think about what it consists of and and how it operates. Of course, that's a a popular kind of thing for coaching is to take something that is uh, so part of what we do that we don't even think about it to get it up and put it on the work table and deal with it for a while. Uh, Trust is something that has been uh, considered. I see it more and more in the literature. Uh, There was some good economic research about uh, went along the lines of asking people in various uh, European countries how much they would trust a person from a different European country uh, in a business transaction. just that, you know, they gave three or four different countries, well, how much do you trust a person from Switzerland? How much do you trust a person from Bulgaria? Ask people in Germany the same question for other folks. And so they came up with this sort of hierarchy of how much, on average, people in one country trusted people from another country, just on the basis of where they're from. And they found a near-perfect correlation between that level of trust and the amount of trade between those countries. Can't tell you which is cause and effect, but they certainly seem very closely linked. Uh, another study uh, uh, I find interesting is that they interviewed employees about how much they trust their uh, managers, and they found a very strong correlation between uh, uh, productivity and trust in the manager. Once again, it's not clear which is the cause and which is the effect. Maybe highly productive employees are more likely to trust their managers, uh, or maybe it's trustworthy managers get more productivity. 
in any case, I think it probably pays to be trustworthy. And I'm pretty sure it pays to be trusting, too. But we're using this word as though we, we know what it means. And I found it very useful to, to lay out the, sort of the pieces of it, because trust is one of those words that is so commonly used that it begins to have multiple usages. And from the way I've listened to people, I've decided that trust has four components. Well, five. Uh, and if those of you who are visually oriented, you could see a blog post I have on this, uh, a shortcut to that blog post is at a URL, which is tiny.cc slash the numeral 2 trust. So it's tiny.cc slash numeral 2 T-R-U-S-T. So when we say that we trust someone, there are five things that we're talking about. We don't always mean all five, which is what leads to some of the confusion. The first part of trust is sincerity. And that is essentially, I believe that what the person is saying matches what they're thinking. They're not promising to do something out loud when internally they know they're actually not going to do it. Or they're not giving us a piece of information that they know is incorrect. To say we trust someone, we often mean that we think they're being sincere in what they say. Make sense? that match your usage of the word trust? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Another one, this particularly arises in the work environment, is capacity. And that is, does the person have the time, the funds, the influence, the, the, the resources that are necessary to follow through on what they promise? I mean, they may sincerely promise it, but can they actually do it? Uh, one of my favorite examples of this is I was working with a group of executives about making requests and following through in a reliable manner. And I had the CEO say, is there a request you're planning of making of your team that we could work with now? He said, actually, there is one. I'm getting ready to plan the holiday party. I need to ask every department head here how many people from their group is going to go to the party. And uh, I said, well, by when do you need this? By when's an important word. Those people who work with me know that's a key phrase. He said, I need it by close of business tomorrow. Well, they went around the table. People, Everyone said yes. And then one of the people at the table, who was the most junior executive there, he was uh, the head of IT. He had one employee and one contractor. He turned to the head of operations who had 1,500 direct reports. And he said, Chuck, you can't keep that promise. We're all a little bit startled. He said, your employees work shifts. Some of them just on the weekends. You can't possibly communicate with all of them by the close of business tomorrow. He said, that's true. I don't have the capacity to follow through on this. And he was appreciative the person gave him a chance to give a more trustworthy response. So they negotiated the deadline to sometime uh, early the next week so he could get to all of his people and give a reliable answer. So we, if someone, there are people that we all know who habitually make commitments with sincerity, that they really don't have the capacity to do. They're too busy, they don't have the skills, and so on. I have the skills actually separate. That's the next one. Competence. Does the person have the training, the skill, the experience, and so on, to get the job done? When you say, I I trust the person with this job, we generally mean that they are 
have the competence to follow through with it. And this one can be uh, a tough one to talk about in the workplace. Now, sincerity, that's pretty touchy. You don't want to call someone a liar, but people are pretty comfortable with the idea that folks sort of overpromise. They say what people want to hear. So sincerity, we, there's a gray area in the workplace. Competence, that's a hard thing for especially peers to talk about. I was doing an offsite with a group of mainly engineers. It just wasn't moving. I, I couldn't get this group to commit to anything, move forward, open up. And finally, what emerged is everybody at the table thought they were a better engineer than everyone else. And they were just not willing to rely on each other to get things done. So they had all these little fiefdoms. And as a whole, they couldn't market the, the sum of their skills because they didn't trust the competence of the other people at the table. And it was something that they found they couldn't talk about. They didn't feel safe to say, you know, you're fine at doing this, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't want you to write a, a seismographic study or I'd trust you to write a, a, story, uh, a study on seismography, but I would never have you choose the equipment to do the research. Well, once they could open up about the fact that they had everybody had limited competence and they wanted to be more open about what they could trust each other to do, then they could start cooperating. Boy, that was a hard one to get on the table. One that's more subtle than the, the first three is consistency. Now, there are people who do a great job a lot of the time, but then they fall apart or they get in some bind, or they get outside their uh, range of abilities, it's just not uh, reliable. And, and I worked with a fellow once who was, he was the kind of guy that there were things that could happen to anybody, but they always seemed to happen to him. So he was always accident-prone, things were getting lost, the, the bizarre problem would happen on his project. Uh, he wasn't consistent, so there were certain things we couldn't trust him with. Because we just knew if, if something could go wrong, it would go wrong on his project. And the final aspect of trust that I don't hear many people talk about is care. And it's that you know, aspect of someone that they, you, you, know, they're, you know they're going to take care of it, that they care about what's going to happen. It matters to them. This I see is important uh, often in accounting and bookkeeping positions. When someone's business is looking to hire a bookkeeper, I often encourage them to look for what I call the bookkeeper mentality, a person who just can't go home until the, the checking account is reconciled. Not because it's important to the business, because it just doesn't feel right to them to leave it unbalanced. Now, that extra element of care about the job because of what it means about who they are. That's the kind of person you can trust with certain kinds of tasks. Mm. Now, this can seem like a lot of words or hair splitting, but the way I put it into practice, I gave some hint of it in my work with executive teams, but for any person in, in organizations from day to day, if you're wondering why you can't rely on other people or why people aren't giving you the assignments you'd like, it can be useful to go down this list and say, which of these five is missing? Yeah. Is it that I don't trust the sincerity of what they're saying? Am I concerned they don't have the capacity for it? Is this the kind of job where the 
person just has to be personally invested and have care, and I'm not getting that signal from them. Now, this is something that often comes up with uh, entrepreneurs looking for funding, uh, investors looking for that passion that this thing must happen no matter what. Whether I get your investment or not, I'm going to make it happen. You know, that's They trust people with their money for whom they, they've got that level of care for making it work. So that's my uh, perhaps over-detailed version of how I uh, analyze trust. Well, let's try to, to go on to the synthesis step by asking you if, what applications have occurred to you while I talk. Maybe it's an incident from your past or something you're working on right now. Well, <clears throat> this is Lowell. I'm. Uh, this is your timing is perfect. You must be reading <laughs> my mind. I actually didn't think there was something like this to help me analyze what's going on with a client who um, I can't trust to follow through on, and he can't trust himself to follow through mm. on what he agrees to do. And I'm looking at um, at this. I'm not quite sure which of these, but I think I'm going to ask him. Yeah, and as a coach, this is a great way to support someone, or as a manager, rather than just deciding you don't trust the person working around them. Let, let's ha let's do an investigation. What aspect of it is is it breaking down on? You know, is, is he just lying to you? you know, there, there are many people. Maybe sometimes you develop an intuition for this. Really, what they're saying is, what noise do I have to make to end this conversation? What is it going to have? To, what do I have to say so you'll just <laughs> back off? <laughs> That's a sincerity problem. Mm -hmm. uh, or or, or just can't say no, and their capacity gets uh, blown out of the water. Yeah, I'll, I'll let him choose one from column. Yeah, column. It, it's a nice joint uh, exploration. You just come in with the five words and work down the list. Good. And if it's too touchy to, to do it head on. Talk to him about trust for the people that, that he, I assume the clients are he, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that the people he works with. Tell, ask him how, if, how he can use these to with the people he takes promises from. So, And maybe as he examines that, he gets comfortable with it, then you can, he'll start seeing himself a bit more. Very good, Tony. Thank you. I'm actually looking at my own... Um, uh, my own failure to trust what I say I'm going to do and uh, which of these I fit into. That's interesting. I had never thought about applying it to oneself. I think I care, but I'm not sure about these other ones. <laughs> I could be guilty of any of the other four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, some people say you know they don't trust themselves to have certain foods in the house. Uh, that's mm -hmm. probably a consistency failure, and that's mm -hmm. just—it's natural. It's there's some pretty good evidence coming in from neuroscience that we have essentially a disciplined muscle in our brain, mm -hmm. and the more times we are disciplined and turn down a tempting treat or opportunity, we use up that muscle, and by the end of the day, it's worn out. That may be one of the reasons that so many people's diets fall apart after 9 p.m. You just get tired of saying no 
all day. And at that point, it's like, hey, I'm going for it. <laughs> it's yeah. a consistency problem. You can't trust yourself. What are the thoughts that we have around trust? Did I miss something you were expecting to hear about trust? <laughs> actually, this is Ron. I actually hadn't heard it sort of decomposed in a lot of detail. And I think of myself as somebody who has a lot of trust in people in general. And after writing down the five things and thinking through and some examples, what I came out with was blind trust. Uh, sometimes not even knowing, not, not even you know, literally thinking. Do I think this person is sincere? sincere? Do they have the capacity, or, or are they competent? You know, the, uh, going through all three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and I, and I thought it's could it, it could just be a feeling I have. It could be uh, you know a way that I've been uh, sort of programmed to deal with people in my background. Uh, it's a, or a default way of being with people to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, of the doubt like that. And do you do that, is there an endless supply of that blind trust, or can people uh, lose credibility with you? Oh, 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 yeah, there's not an endless endless supply, but I think usually my first interaction or out of the gate or sitting at the table dealing with them, I'll start from trust. I guess, you know, if I go, go back and think it through, they have to, I'm trying to think of an example, maybe they do hit one of those things. You know, they're not consistent, or they act like they don't care, or... I believe that after meeting with them that they might be incompetent, then that maybe the trust goes away. I hadn't really thought about it that way. But but my starting point was from trust. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very effective, effective strategy. Uh, I think you, you and I have talked about the uh, famous study done by Axelrod, as a con- computer scientist, became uh, more of a philosopher. And he was thinking about the game theory problem of the prisoner's dilemma. In a brief, the idea is two people have been arrested for a crime. Uh, they're told that, each of them are told separately, that if you give us evidence on your partner, he'll get a long sentence, you'll get a short one. But if he gives evidence before you do, uh, you'll get the long sentence, he'll get the short one. If you both give evidence on each other, you'll both get a moderate sentence. But if you both keep your mouth shut, you both walk out. So what do you do in that situation? It's a tough problem. It's one that doesn't have an optimal solution mathematically, like a lot of game theory things do. So what Axelrod did was hold a contest. He announced to people that they could write a computer program, and he would have these computer programs run the prison dilemma against each other. And I think it was a 1,000 iterations uh, in various pairings and see which one ended up with the least number of years in prison. And he got some very complicated strategies. The programs could remember the names of the other programs, so when they interacted again, they could learn how that program was and sort of game each other's strategies. And so there are a lot of ways to go about playing this game. The game that has had won, and it continued to win for years, there was one slight modification of it that ended up getting ahead of it after many years of trials. But the one that was a champion for a long time was called tit for tat. Uh, when it first encounters a, a program or a strategy it hasn't seen before, it trusts. It keeps its mouth shut, hoping the other one will keep its mouth shut too and they'll both get off scot-free. However, if that program 
defects in the technical terminology and gives tit for tat a long sentence. The next time it encounters that particular program, it will defect against the other program. The third time they meet, it's back to a blank slate. We were even now, I'll trust you again. And that turned out to be the winning strategy. Sounds a lot like yours, Ron. I'll go in trusting. You prove that I was a mistake to trust you. Next time I won't. After that, maybe I'll give another shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, some people you know, live life with a very different strategy. They, they, you know, they distrust until proven otherwise. They're very slow to rely on people. Uh, that's a conservative strategy. You don't get damaged as much, but you lose out on a lot of the uh, multiplicative opportunities that are, that are available from trusting. Because after all, if you think about it, even briefly, the things that matter to you the most, to all of us the most, require the actions and cooperation of other people. So getting good at cooperating with other people is the way to get almost everything we want out of life. So just continually protecting ourselves because someone might not be trustworthy has got to be a losing game. Hmm. There's a lot of talk of uh, this line that Reagan is famous for, which is trust but verify. And um, I've seen executives, uh, in effect, test their subordinates with a with a with a task with a time a time of completion by when this will happen and see whether it does and then go back as a way to train the person to uh to consider this seriously mm-hmm. and test them again I don't know how well it works. <laughs> It sounds like it might, because if you continue to practice to give the the timely feedback, uh, they may self-destruct or they may form a habit whereby they do actually follow through. Yeah, I think it it depends a lot on how you do it. Um, and before we do that, we're at about our halfway point. So why don't we take a few moments to practice uh, clearing our minds, centering a bit, and we'll pick up this thread of conversation. Uh, uh, is anyone not uh, sitting at their desk? Is someone uh, driving or moving around somewhere? Okay, good. Well, if you're, you're, if you're sitting someplace where you can relax a bit, maybe even close your eyes, if you're wearing a headset, perfect. If not, you can continue to hold it to your ears. But I would just get yourself as much as possible into a position where you can let uh, the floor supports your feet without your legs working. The chair holds you up. Just relax in and really feel the weight of your body against the chair and your feet against the floor or the ground. Keeping your spine fairly straight. In fact, if you were to imagine that very tip of the top of your head, there were a string there that sort of stretched you up and you, you just slightly dangled from that so your spine is nice and straight all the way down to your pelvis. You have that nice, in, elongated, relaxed, upright posture so that you can breathe in through your nose and almost visualize the air going all the way down your throat into your lungs, expanding your abdomen. 
float out through your mouth. Take a few breaths in that posture, in through the nose and out through the mouth. to breathe, sort of scan your body, starting with your feet, up through your ankles, looking for any muscle that might be tensed, straining, or working that doesn't need to be, that can relax. Just let your legs hang off your knees, back is straight, abdomen relaxed, shoulders are back and down, the table or the lap is supporting your arms, so you don't need to use your arm or shoulder muscles. Examine the back of your neck, see if there are any muscles building to a headache that you can just sort of breathe into and let go. Relax your tongue. Unlock your jaw. Let your eyelids rest gently, no squeezing, just gravity, closing your eyes, relaxing your forehead. Breathe deeply through your nose. And out the mouth. Anytime some thoughts come up, some ideas, just let them go by. If they're important, they'll come back at the appropriate time. Continually draw your attention back to the breath, how it feels coming in your nose, how it feels to expand your chest and your abdomen. Whatever sensations you're having now, attend to those without judgment, nothing to correct, nothing to fix. In this moment, just accepting how you are, where you are. Count three more long, slow breaths for yourself. In and out. And whenever you're ready, open your eyes. Get back to your eager, stressful, active postures. <laughs> Anyone notice anything different about themselves 
now versus five minutes ago? Just five minutes lost, huh? More clarity. Clarity. Say a little more about that. Doris, could you elaborate on what, what clarity feels like to you? Maybe she can't hear you. Doris, do you hear me? I guess not. Maybe we lost her. So clear, my voice goes right through her. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Todd, are you still with us? I am. Ron? Yep. Ron? Okay, well, I'm not sure what happened with Doris, but maybe she hit mute right after she made that comment. <laughs> Yeah, I, I always include this. I think this is uh, the key leadership skill of our era because there are so many competing uh, messages and uses of our time and attention that taking time each day to train ourselves to choose to be aware of what's in front of us right now is so powerful. Something I'm extending it to recently is when I notice that I've got a lot of things going, a lot of tasks, feeling a bit of time pressure to actually choose a task, not even choose a task, whatever task I'm on, stick with it to completion, no matter what. It's such a different experience of the day to take one thing, do it thoroughly, put it away, go to the next thing, put it away. It's not the way I, I operate automatically. But boy, it it's such a focusing of energy that I don't, uh, I'm less likely to get exhausted and I feel like I've accomplished something instead of feeling like I was just busy. Anyone else can relate to that? Oh, yeah. I once worked with someone who kind of frustrated me because he made sure that he wrote down exactly what he needed to write down to be complete about what was just said. And I stood there kind of impatiently as I normally would until he finished. And then we moved on. And after he did enough of that, I realized, you know, I really need to do that. And how trustworthy and was he? Very. Probably no coincidence. Mm, you think? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. I. It's interesting to to be so frenetic to not have the patience to just get the full benefit out of what just happened instead of jumping quickly to the next thing and um, not fully completing the, the last thing. Really. And I see people who use that busyness, that freneticness, to use your word, as a shield against assignments. How dare you give me something to do? Obviously, I'm very busy. And they're so busy they can't take good notes on it or listen to you thoroughly. So why would you bother giving them a task? You can tell it isn't going to get done. But they're busy. Can't get rid of them. They're essential. Have their fingers in a lot of things. Don't give me one more. 
I think it's a to- my guess is it's a totally unconscious practice that they're they're engaged in. They don't, well, I think it's unconscious in the sense that if it's, it's, if you get someone to really take a look at it, it would probably dissipate pretty quickly. <laughs> oh yeah. If you did what you talked about in the beginning here, which is actually take a moment to be present to what's happening in this moment. Yeah. Sounds like someone's using their phone to, to to open a bottle. <laughs> Sorry, Lowell, I interrupted you. It's all right. I want to get back a little to what you're saying about uh, sometimes bosses will uh, test someone's trustworthiness, give them a certain assignment, observe it in a particular way. That This is one of those things that the way of being, the attitude behind it, the intention is crucial. So many people will set up gutches. No, before before you take before yeah. you take that path, Tony, I, yeah. I see where you're going, but I I know in this particular case it wasn't that it it was how much do, more do I need to apply to be able to count on this guy? Yeah, and, and I was going to say, and you, you can do it, that, and you can do it that way too. How do I how do I get the best from this person? How can I structure things in a way that works for them? Yeah. And this is something as a, a consultant and a coach you, you probably look out for. You one of the things you ask early on is. How do they like to be communicated with? Is this a person who reads their emails thoroughly? Is this a person who has to be face-to-face? You know, we want to find a way that will be successful with their style. And uh, sometimes you can do that by testing things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so often it, this kind of thing seems to come up when there's uh, doubts about someone. They say, well, you know, I'm going to set this up in a way so I can really test them. I'll find out if my concern is justified. Well, boy... It's pretty easy to prove that your concern is justified if you go in with that attitude. You can mm-hmm. set it up for failure. Mm-hmm. Or you can set it up for success. And it could look exactly the same in detail, but the there are messages getting communicated that make a, a huge difference in how it turns out. Mm-hmm. What other topics or thoughts that come to people's minds? Well, I'm just thinking this issue of trust is much uh, richer than I had thought. Um, Going in, it was was a... uh, kind of a binary decision you're either trustworthy or you're not next right and there are nuances here and uh i hadn't taken care to think of this is great to me yeah, and i also try to take it out of the the moral or righteous aspects of it mm-hmm. uh you know saying someone is trustworthy is just a compliment you know it's a good person of course it's, that that person is trustworthy I, there are situations uh, where every, people fall down in every one of those five categories. You know, sincerity is uh, not perfect in anyone, uh, as far as the research indicates. You know, there was a—I forgot her name—but she's a researcher at UVA who made quite a name by uh, tracking how many times a day people lie. Any guesses what the averages were like? <laughs> Dozens. Dozens really? of times a day. And there was a big gender disparity. 
So let's take a quick poll. So uh, who, 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 which gender, Ron, do you think that does more lying in the course of an average day, men, men or women? Well, yeah, my gut reaction is men, but so that means the answer is probably women. <laughs> Are you lying to us? <laughs> yes. Doris, what do you think? I guess you did pop off earlier. Um, you know, oh, yeah, I, you're back. I've read this. Um, hold on one second. I've read this study, and unfortunately, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember it. I, I think it's men, but I I really don't know. Hey, Todd. You know, I, at the risk of sounding sexist, I'm going to say women. <laughs> of course. And, and I'm thinking, Tony, because this is probably more like the little white lies, every kind of lie, not just you know, devious lies. Which what do you mean by a little white lie? I love your dress. Your hair is wonderful. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> well, you've got it on the nose, Todd. Oh, women by a large, large margin, and they, their lies tend to be things that protect the other person's feelings. So women lie more because they're nicer than men. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. The nicer part. <laughs> My, I have a I have a wonderful story that I enjoy about white lies. It's about Lillian Carter, Jimmy Carter's mother. Uh, she, she became quite a celebrity during the campaign. Uh, she was scheduled for an interview in her hotel room. Uh, a young female reporter came in to interview her, and as often happens, it started off all lightweight, uh, sweet stuff. But then it quickly developed that this person was going for a scoop. I was going to cross-examine Miss Lillian. And she started saying, now your son has told us that if he ever lies to the American people, we shouldn't vote for him. Now, you know him better than anyone. Tell us, has your son ever lied? And Miss Lillian thought for a moment and says, well, I'm sure he's told some little white lies. The reporter said, aha, just what do you mean by a little white lie? She said, I'm not sure I can define it, but I'll give you an example. Do you remember when you walked in my room and I told you how pretty you looked and how glad I was to see you? Ching. <laughs> 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 uh, and the problem is, I think that gets extended to the workplace and undermines sincerity, where people give the answer they feel they need to give, they commit to things that they don't understand, uh, they, they say they'll do something because they want to help the other person even when they know they don't have the capacity to help that person getting these things out where people can be truly sincere about them and, and discuss what it takes to get things done just sends productivity through the roof. It's, it's astonishing how much faster things get done, more things get done, and to-do lists get shorter because people can actually say no. Not only do they have less to do, but the people who are depending on them to get that done don't go on uh, blind alleys and wild goose chases. Mm-hmm. Well, any other uh, insights, thoughts, applications, any any uh, commitments to action, anything you're thinking of coming up on your calendars in the next day or two? You think you might be able to apply some of these things? Well, being oh, yeah. somewhat in the moment, I'm just hoping my power comes back on. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's been out since yesterday? Yeah. It went out around the time you sent your first message being stuck on the, the uh, 267 or whatever it was. Yeah, I had quite an ordeal yesterday. Oh, sounds awful. Uh, yeah, well, it was, it was kind of fun. I mean, I, I knew 
uh, the rest of my family was home and safe, although in the dark. And I never felt like I was in danger. I was inconvenienced, but I was never in danger as far as I could tell. So I could, from there, I could just be flexible and enjoy it. Which, of course, has applications in a lot of places in the workplace, too. Often people feel threatened emotionally, so they can't just uh, be creative. People spend a lot of time feeling like they're in a survival situation, although they're not. I mean, that's workplace stress. We have these great mechanisms to respond to uh, physical threats, but we're using those hormones to respond to emotional concerns, and it literally eats away at us. But that's probably a topic for the next teleseminar. <laughs> well, I hope you get power soon. Do you have? What are you using for heat? Um, actually, I, we have the fireplace going, but um, it only throws so much heat. So right. we're, we're kind of chilly. Yeah, well, all the fireplace does is, is create a warm spot at the expense of cooling the rest of the house. <laughs> so we're hovering around the living room. All right, well, last call before we, we wrap up early. Any other uh, comments or topics anyone want to bring up? No. Well, I do appreciate your being here. If you, if you found this of value, please uh, forward your announcement email to your friends. Invite them to come on. I'm, I'm glad to have a, a, a larger group on here, and I'll, I'll continue to schedule these every couple of weeks. Just watch your uh, email list. Great. Thank you, Tony. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More information is available at TonyMayo.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of top executive coach Tony Mayo, copyright 2011.